Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. The 2019 draft is in the books. Maybe there are some of you out there who are glued to the TV for the entire weekend. Maybe some of you just watched it peripherally. And maybe some of you are coming here for the first time, because like the Oscars, you don't really need to be there to see who won. That's why we're here. I'm Alex Shane, here with Rich Hill. Rich, how was your draft weekend? Oh, man, this was probably one of the busiest draft weekends that we've had. The Patriots have finally used all of their draft picks. They had stuff early on, which we can't say they've had in recent years. They did stuff in the later rounds. I carved out a nice little couple hours of my afternoon when the fifth round was supposed to be happening, and the Patriots drafted in the fifth round for the first time in forever. So, I don't know, this was such a... Atypical, busy, wonderful, happy Patriots draft. I love draft season, man. How was your draft? It was good. I, I do. I, I love the draft, too. Again, I'm not the biggest college football fan. I'm not like a draft Nick where I go Mel Kuyper on it and, and break down who's going to go where. And there are a lot of names on the draft board that I don't know as a football fan, uh, NFL fan first and college fan second. But it's really cool to see uh, the fan reaction. Nashville seemed to be off the hook. General they uh, they booed Goodell with fervor, which I really appreciated. It seems that there are a lot of exciting uh, teams coming up in the 2019 season, and everyone's zero and zero right now. Everyone's optimistic about their season, except for the Giants, apparently, because they are miserable with their draft pick. But I don't really <laughs> care about that. Uh, but I think what I personally most enjoy about the NFL draft is. I will never, Rich, get old of those videos where the kid gets the call from the coach and, like, everyone starts screaming. It's, like, it's very rare you get to see, like, literally the exact second somebody's lifelong dream comes true. And that's really cool for me. I don't know. I'm I'm sappy. Oh, it's so true. I'm such a big fan of that as well. I mean, when Nikhil Harry got drafted by the Patriots in that first round and that video was going around of, you know, him getting that call, him just celebrating with everyone in the room, loved it, loved it. I would say that the video of the draft goes to DK Metcalf of the Seattle Seahawks now. I don't know if you got a chance to see this one. But he they they released a video of uh, him, you know, kind of crying a little bit, too, but being like saying, what what took y'all so long? And then the Seahawks <laughs> released a, a subsequent video, though, of uh, DK Metcalf's meeting with the Seahawks during the combine, I believe. And this was after Metcalf set or Metcalf set the world on fire a little bit. He did such a great, ridiculous job with his athleticism there. And he walked into this combine meeting with the Seahawks without a shirt on. <laughs> and uh, everyone in the room went nuts. And then Pete Carroll saw it and he said, you know what? I'm going to take my shirt off too. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, apparently Metcalf and the Seahawks had a really great rapport. And it was lovely to see that kind of come together on draft weekend. I would say right now, this is like such an important thing to remember is that you should never be upset at any of the players for anything that happened to them this weekend. Uh, it's not their fault if teams took them earlier than you would have liked them to. Exactly what you said, Alec. These are players realizing their lifelong dreams. And just be happy for them. This is like this is such a wonderful, wonderful weekend. No, it is. And again, like I said, every team is 0-0. Zero zero. Every team is optimistic about the upcoming year. Anything can happen. Most teams bolstered their rosters. And there's a whole new slew of rookies in the NFL, including 10 players on the Patriots. Rich. The Patriots had a slew of draft picks coming into the draft. As usual, they moved up and down the board. They made some trades. They went forward. They went backward. 
came away with 10 rookies and a handful of undrafted free agents. I think I'm going to break this, this podcast down, Rich. Just kind of go through their draft picks round by round, some instant reactions, some thoughts, maybe some reaches, some sleepers, and uh, see where we end up. Yo, absolutely. I love doing that. Let, let's start it off with the first round. Possibly the biggest surprise of the yeah, draft. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the fact that the Patriots used their first round pick. 32nd overall, the Patriots select Nikhil Harry, wide receiver out of Arizona State. Alec, what are your thoughts? This is the first wide receiver the Patriots have drafted in the first round since Terry Glenn in 1996. That's 20 some odd years have passed since the past took a receiver this early. And then the the initial kind of trepidation of the Patriots don't draft receivers well. And, you know, they always wait till the later rounds and get guys went away pretty quickly when I looked at a the immeasurables of are the measurables of, of Harry. He's six, two. He's a big guy. I watched the highlight reel, the contested balls. He can catch the ability. He has as a blocking wide receiver. This is a big rangy receiving body that the Patriots have not really had in a very long time. They tried to get it with Josh Gordon. Maybe they'll have it with Demarius Thomas. If he can come back to his form, but I'm not relying on that at all. Randy Moss even wasn't this kind of guy. Cause he was a very skinny receiver and not the best blocker. So I love the skill set Keneal Harry has. I think he's a very complete receiver. He says all the right things. He's making all the right quotes from the interviews and whatnot. I'm obviously going to be a little bit pessimistic because the Patriots and receivers just don't mix well in the draft, but if they had to pick a receiver in the first round, I'm really glad it was Harry. Oh, absolutely. A uh, big thing about his athleticism right there is that he tied for the lead at the combine in bench press for wide receivers with 27. I believe he actually had like something ridiculous, like 10 more reps than uh, the Patriots' third-round defensive end. So just putting some context on the strength that this receiver has. He does a great job, great, great job blocking out there. Very high effort. Uh Big knock on him is that he might not get the same separation that a lot of the other receivers get uh, coming out in this draft class. But in my mind, you're not going to get a lot of separation in the NFL anyways. And so it's a matter of what do you do when the ball's coming your direction and he comes down with it every single time. He's the best contested ball receiver in the draft. Patriots need a lot of help in the red zone. They'll need help replacing uh, not only Rob Gronkowski, who did such a great job in the red zone there, but even Chris Hogan, who did not shine last season, but the previous two years, he had done a pretty good job coming down with footballs in the end zone. Harry fits that very, very well. Uh, when you were looking at that first selection, uh, what were you thinking of uh, possible choices for the Patriots? I, I mean, I was surprised that they chose a wide receiver because of all the history there. Uh, what, what were you thinking that the Patriots might do? Yeah, I really thought they'd go D-line. There was kind of a run on D-linemen, both interior and edge rushers, in the early part of the draft. I thought maybe they'd see that there weren't going to be that many guys off the board by the time they pick in the second round and try and get an edge rusher and interior defensive lineman. They've done that a bunch in the past, and it seemed to be in line with the kind of draft strategy they employ. But I think they saw that Harry was there. Maybe they had they were looking to move out of the first round and, and couldn't find a willing or a, a suitable trade for it. Total guess. I've got nothing to, to back that up. And they said, you know what? We're here. We're pretty well set at a lot of positions. The secondary is pretty tight. We've got a good offensive line, a good running back. We need a receiver anyway. Let's go for Harry. Uh, and so I'm really glad to see the Patriots took a receiver because, again, I think we're always harping, Rich, on how the offseason for Patriots is unsexy. And a big, rangy, red zone threat wide receiver is one hell of a sexy draft pick. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, and my big thing, too, is that the Patriots started the run of wide receivers with their selection of Harry. And it kind of made sense why they wanted to do it is because they needed that outside receiver, right? I mean, they have Edelman who can go inside. Phil Dorsett's a speedster on the outside. They didn't really use him too much in the slot, but... Harry is that big body that they can place uh, to take over for Chris Hogan right out of the gate. And uh, you look at the other outside receivers that were available at the top. Marquise Brown, speedster out of Oklahoma. The Ravens took him 25th overall. Not a blocker. He is like 165 pounds soaking wet. He is a speedster. But all the other receivers, if we're just going off of who got picked next, Debo Samuel, he's a slot guy. A.J. Brown, he can win inside and outside, but some teams primarily thought of him as a slot guy. Nicole Hardman, uh, speedster on the outside, not necessarily the same. J. Arcega-Whiteside, I like him, but Nikhil Harry, I kind of like him a little bit more just because he's younger. He produced in the same division, so that one's kind of a push. Uh, but then Andy Isabella, you could view him as being a slot guy as well. So 
of the wide receivers that were taken afterwards. Not a lot of outside wide receivers. If they thought Nikhil Harry had the most upside of all of those players, including J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, I I think that just clearly is the right pick because a lot of wide receivers were about to go. No need to risk missing out the guy that you want. For sure. It was a great pick. Maybe not the most expected pick of the Bill Belichick era because they don't don't really draft receivers high, and when they do, they don't work out. But it's cool to have an unexpected, pleasant surprise in the first round to to kick things off. I'll tell you what was not a surprise, Rich Hill. Tell me (laughs) if you heard this one before. The Patriots take a DB in the second round. Oh, man. It's like every single second round now, right? I mean, <laughs> what? You, you go through the roster. We got Jordan Richards, Cyrus Jones, Duke Dawson, Tavon Wilson. I mean, I mean, that's a horrible track record right there. Patriots picked Jojuan Williams out of Vanderbilt, cornerback, 45th overall. Alec, what were your thoughts on that pick? Not surprising. This is actually a guy I've heard of. Uh, he was actually projected the Patriots in a couple of, of mock drafts. It's interesting because I feel like Joe, with, with Williams and Harry, the first two picks, uh, the Patriots are getting a lot bigger, just bigger, more athletic, just rangier, more aggressive on both sides of the ball. And I think Williams is a really non-Belichickian cornerback in that he was going smaller with the Malcolm Butler types and the the – the Jonathan Jones types. This is definitely a, I think somebody at Pat's pulpit actually compared it to Brown, Brandon Browner. I think that's a great comparison. It's a big kind of physical cornerback, great measurables, very shifty, good hips. Uh, I, I'm not upset with the pick in terms of the talent and the ability. It's just, you look at that secondary. Now it's extremely crowded. I'm not sure whether Williams will be a day one starter. I'm not sure what this means for Duke Dawson. I'm not sure what this means for Jason McCourty. So I'm very curious as to see how Williams will fit in this secondary, very crowded backfield. But I like, effectively, as a, as a talented player coming to the Patriots, I'm just not sure about fit. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think when you have such a crowded room, it's a matter of uh, who's going to lose out, right? There's only so many cornerbacks you could keep on the roster. There's only so many places that have opportunities to get onto the field. Stephon Gilmore's not going anywhere. J.C. Jackson looked great in his limited time as a rookie. Uh, Jason McCourty, Super Bowl hero. Those are your top trio. You added another second rounder in, in Williams, as well as last year's second rounder in Duke Dawson. What about Jonathan Jones, who has an argument for also being a, a playoff hero for the Patriots for the work that he did against both the Chiefs and against the Rams? He's done a great job, and I know he'll be a free agent after this upcoming season. This might just be a, you know, stash Williams, let him learn the system because Jason McCourty might not be back uh, after this upcoming season. Jonathan Jones probably won't be back. And then you'll have a, a quartet of Gilmore, uh, Jackson, Dawson, and Williams as your top four, which is fine. Uh, it's just like curiosity as to how it will develop. But I love that Brandon Browner comparison because best case scenario in my head you have Stephon Gilmore, sorry, Stephon Gilmore, first team all pro cornerback, playing as well, if not better, than Darrell Rivas ever did in 2014. And if you have your own Gilmore Williams combo in the same way that you had a Rivas Brandon Browner, maybe the Patriots defense could be their calling card uh, in addition to that running game as New England tries to control the ball, control the clock, and kind of shift how they approach the entire game. So, Rich, you see Williams as a potential day one starter on the opposite side of the field from Gilmore? I don't know if I see him as a day one starter. I I would say that this pick, uh, they had to make it because you look at the run of cornerbacks that just took place in between the Patriots taking Harry and then the Patriots taking Williams. You had Byron Murphy going 33rd. You had Rocky Asin going 34th. Sean Bunting going 39th. Trayvon Mullen going 40th. So the Patriots had to take Jojuan Williams. If they wanted him at 45, they needed to take him because a bunch more were going to go off the board before the Patriots had their next selection. So they needed to take him at that point if they wanted to get his very, very unique skill set because he's six foot four. He has a sub seven second three cone. So there are not many people on this planet with that size and that quickness. So they like him a lot. I would say that he's not polished. He's a little he lacks the consistency, but you can't really expect that of a, of a rookie. So I would say that this first season is him trying to get the, his feet under him. I think this is a perfect transition time. Patriots have done this in the past. Allow the rookie cornerbacks, unless you're J.C. Jackson, you let those rookie cornerbacks practice, get in the system, and then they really emerge in that second year. 
Yeah, we will soon see it. Again, it's going to be a very crowded backfield. And one thing that's nice about it is we know that at worst-case scenario, the secondary is set from last year. The training camp battle, the camp competition will be really fun to watch, but it's not the kind of thing we're thinking about 2011 where, like, oh, God, I hope somebody emerges that can cover and we're not stuck with Matthew Slater and Julian Edelman back there. So it's good <laughs> to have that kind of a problem. But it'll be interesting to see which quarterbacks, uh, cornerbacks, excuse me, uh, emerge as the strength there. Well, this is the only second-round pick the Patriots made, Rich. They uh, moved around. They had a couple going in, but they, they moved them up and, and got rid of them. And now they had three picks, if I'm not mistaken, they made in the third round, which is a crazy amount. Their first one, I know you're a big fan of this guy, Defensive end out of Michigan, Chase Winovich. Oh, yeah, I love that pick. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he is one of the best defensive end prospects they've had over the past five years or however long they've been doing it. They put his name right next to Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, and Miles Garrett with regards to production. So that's a great, great group to be alongside. Over the past two seasons, he's been in their, I think, like their top three in both years or something like that. He's done a great job against both the run and against the pass. He's benefit from a great defensive system of Don Brown up there in Michigan where uh, he was on the weak side. But that's helpful for the Patriots because they'll know how to utilize him and they'll use him uh, in the way that they use, you know, I mean, not to overgeneralize, but... Rob Ninkovich, same way they used John Simon. They used him on the side opposite of Trey Flowers. And that is exactly where they use Winovich is opposite of Michael Bennett, opposite of Dietrich Wise. They'll have him compete with John Simon. And there's your quartet of defensive ends. Uh, Derek Rivers, Keontae Davis, they can fight their way, prove that they deserve to be on the roster. But if I have a, a starting four rotation of Bennett, Wise, and Simon Winovich, this is a great defensive quartet. They'll be great for this year. They'll be great next year. And the Patriots have done a great job getting a, a, a top-tier player in the third round. 100% agree. Also, I'm not going to go ahead and do any early kind of preseason juju curse or anything like that. But should the Patriots win another Super Bowl, they've also filled another major hole in that they have a duck boat MVP candidate in Winovich. That guy loves to party. I'm not going to compare him to the legend that is Rob Gronkowski. However, if you watch the video, we're talking about videos earlier in the podcast of of players getting called and getting reactions, and their entire families are just jumping up and down, and he's flowing those beautiful blonde locks around. Seems like a lot of fun, good character guy, great personality, should fit in very well in, in New England. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Oh, yeah, seriously, talking about how he fits in. Best part of the post-game draft press conference with him was when he was asked about the contact that he had with the Patriots during the offseason. You know, like, have they met with you at the Pro Bowl, they meet with you, or sorry, like the Senior Bowl, Combine, anything like that? And he goes, um, you know, I really want to get into the building, uh, talk to some people before I answer that, because I just want to know what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> Which is the most Patriot answer ever. Very happy about that. I, I think he'll fit the New England Patriots extraordinarily well. Very happy with that one. Uh, that's such a great way to, to kick off that third round for the Patriots. Uh, but their next pick in the third round, I want to get your reaction on, 87th overall, the New England Patriots selected Alabama running back Damian Harris. What went through your head? Yeah, this is interesting, you know, because they, they used a first-round pick last year on Sony Michelle, who had a pretty damn good rookie campaign, if I do say so myself. And there's a lot of similarities between Michelle and, and Harris, excuse me, because um, they're both kind of first and second down back, both between the tackles runners, both a little raw in their, their pass blocking, but but good enough to, to fit in the system and do well. I'm I'm curious as to where they see Damian Harris fitting in the Patriots system. This definitely might be a scenario where they felt they'd addressed areas of need early in rounds one, two, and in the early part of three. There was a very skilled player from a very uh, storied program. Alabama is a great football school. Some great running backs have come out of Alabama. So maybe they just saw that Harris was there and they went classic Patriots and did best player available and they'll find a role for him somewhere. Yeah, my, my thought on this pick uh, – is that you need to always be ready. Running backs are always injured. Rex Burkhead has been hurt the past two years with the Patriots. Sony Michelle has his long-standing history of injuries. So 
if I'm the Patriots, I'm not going to bank on both of them being available for the entire year. It's good to have that insurance, and Harris is as good as it gets. Uh, I mean, honestly, if the Patriots want to move on from Rex Burkhead after this season, that would totally – they're in a position to do that now. And what I think what uh, about this Harris pick is exactly what you said – this was a best player available thing. And if you, if you listen to Nick Casario's interview after the draft, he's saying, you know, uh, this was just a value pick. Other other draft picks were because of need or, you know, we needed a fit there. This one was, you know, this was just the best player we had on the board. And to give a little bit of context to this, Monday morning quarterbacks Albert Breer uh, in his post-draft report from last year. So this is talking about after the 2018 draft. He was talking about uh, potential studs for this upcoming year, and he mentioned Damian Harris out of Alabama. And what he said in his reports was that, oh, everyone is surprised that Damian Harris returned back to college because he would have been the number two running back on people's boards. And that's important to know because Albert Breer, very, very, very connected in the Boston sports space. You know, I believe he used to work for the Globe. So uh, if you think of who he probably has a connect with, who he thinks has Harris as a top two grade, probably someone related to the Patriots or someone uh, from that similar tree that would evaluate him in a similar way. So if Damian Harris was truly viewed as one of the top two running backs in last year's draft class, this year probably wouldn't have changed anything there. I know that Josh Jacobs, his teammate, went in the first round, but Damian Harris has three straight years of 1,000 yards in the SEC. Bill Belichick loves that. He loves his Alabama players. I'm sure he had at least, like, a, if not a first-round grade, a very high second-round grade on Damian Harris. This was too good of value for them to pass up. And I can envision a Sony Michelle Damian Harris tandem with James White coming in on third down for the up like for the rest of Tom Brady's career. Yeah, I mean the the similarities physically are, are remarkable. You know, I think uh, Harris is five ten, Michelle's five eleven. He might be a, a tall five ten. Harris was listed at two hundred sixteen pounds. Michelle's two hundred fifteen pounds. Michelle has thirty one inch arms. Reach wise, Harris has 30 inch arms. Harris ran a 4.5740. Michelle ran a 4.5640 or 4.5540. Very similar players in terms of their their physicality. And as you mentioned, as the Patriots get bigger and as they may become a run first team and not relying on Tom Brady to win them games each and every week the way he was when he was younger, he's going to be 42. And that's just the reality of it. Maybe they're just going to know that running backs tend to grind down as the season goes on. And if they spell the reps, they spell the carries. Not good from fantasy perspective, but it's great from a real perspective because these guys aren't going to be forced to carry the ball 25, 30 times a game. And if they can both have strong campaigns, really, really good come playoff time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think this is just thinking of the long term here. Exactly what you said. They're going to be more physical. So I'm okay with this pick. I'm not as high on it as I was with the Winovich pick or the Harry pick just because I think there were opportunities to fill other positions of need at this point in the draft uh, they could have taken Dawson Knox out of Ole Miss I liked him a lot he went 96th overall to the Bills did you think that the Patriots missed an opportunity by taking Harris uh, as, instead of addressing some of their other needs I wouldn't call it a missed opportunity because, again, I don't think if the Patriots didn't have any draft picks beyond Chase Winovich, I think they would have been okay for the most part. There's not really this glaring hole that they had to fill. We can talk about it a little more if you agree with me later on in the podcast, but I don't think there's this one spot that was just like if they don't address this one position, they're in a lot of trouble and they had to go high with a, a highly touted college prospect to get it. They had the luxury of drafting a guy. Running backs, as you mentioned, they can break at any moment, and when that cliff comes, it comes hard. So it's always good to have another guy in the tank. So, I, again, I'm not, like, in love with the pick, but you can't knock it. Yeah, absolutely. And they did a great job uh, addressing another one of their bigger needs uh, with their next pick, 101st overall, second-to-last pick of the third round. They took uh, Yoni Kajust out of West Virginia. I believe I pronounced that one correctly. Uh, they chose him 101st overall. He slid. I expected him to go higher compared to a bunch of the other offensive tackles that were taken off the board. What was your thought on this pick? Didn't really know who this guy was. I'm not going to pretend I, I know enough about drafts to talk about third-round linemen out of West Virginia. Uh, love the name. Big fan of it. That's one thing. And after doing some research and some some digging, it seems like he my, my Alex Shane scouting report is he's kind of a project, but he's a swing tackle. 
which is great. He can play in multiple positions, which is great. And with no glaring hole on the offensive line, he can learn behind some really good players and have the wizard that is Dante Scarnecchia sculpt him into the position where he's going to be the best fit in the system. So I think like any lineman being coached by Scar, he's going to be great. And uh, Bill Belichick has another Icelandic Nordic Viking sky. So that's always a nice band. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I liked that pick. Uh, he was second team all-conference 2017, first team all-conference this past year, as well as the conference's offensive lineman of the year. He's allowed zero, uh, sorry, one sack over the past two seasons combined, starting at left tackle and just two quarterback hits. He has done an outstanding job at left tackle. Uh, he started out at right tackle when he first joined West Virginia. He has a couple of knee injuries that knocked him out of his freshman and sophomore seasons, so that is something to note. Uh, but he is far from a polished project, and what I love so much about this selection is exactly what you said about having Dante Scarnecchia in charge, because, you know, Dante Scarnecchia can make anyone look great, apparently, and Kajust is very, very good already. And when you get a player who's good and able to get the job done, despite not having the most consistent technique, that just means that they're going to keep getting better when they have good coaching. And so there's no one better than Scar at doing that. And so I like this Kajust pick because now Patriots are fine at the offensive tackle position, or fine enough, I should say, where you got Marcus Cannon on the right side. And then you have Isaiah Wynn and Kajust competing to start at left tackle. Then you can figure out what the next player is going to do. I like it a lot. I, I think that this was the best possible cho uh, pick they could have had at that position at any point in this round. No, it's true. Again, and they always seem to go with O-line at some point in the draft, so why not in the third round and the fourth round? That's how they kicked off their fourth round. Now, Rich, I, I'd like to sit here and pretend that I know how to pronounce this young man's name, but I don't. So if you can go ahead and butcher this for me so I don't look like an idiot on national podcast, that'd be great. There's a guard slash center out of Arkansas with pick number 118. He is... Oh, you don't know how to pronounce Yeldif Roholt? Oh, Yelda Froholt, thank you. Oh, yeah, to Svenborg, Denmark. Of course, <laughs> of course, Yelda, I know how to pronounce that. Uh, yeah, he is a quintessential Patriots pick. Love it so much. Love it so much. So big things here, definitely want to touch on this, is that Patriots coaching assistant Brett Bielema recruited Froholt to Arkansas back in the day with his previous job. So there was a connection there. Patriots know how Froholt operates inside of the building. He's a very, very raw prospect. He played a, a little bit of football since he was 12, but he didn't really start playing it until his uh, junior year in high school. So he, uh, he has a lot of room to grow, but he's already a great player. Everything that I said about Kajust applies to Froholt here. Uh, second team All-SEC, that's a big thing. Uh, Pro Football Focus rated him as, I believe, their fourth best interior lineman in the entire draft. He dominated the SEC. He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Quinnen Williams, who went third overall to the, the New York Jets. and did not allow a single pressure over 41 snaps. So he does it very well against the best possible talents. He can play any of the interior line positions. He's got great size. He's ultimately there to replace Joe Tooney, who's probably going to get a big money contract somewhere else in free agency. Otherwise, you know, you get a good player in full hold who can back up everything on the interior. I would say Ted Karras is probably the one that has his job most in jeopardy. But I love this pick. I, I mean, a couple years ago when they chose Shaq Mason in the fourth round, loved that pick as well. Just as excited about this Froholt pick, and I believe he can be just as big of an impact player. And if the Patriots don't work out, I hear that the Shire and Frodo Baggins need some some assistance. So Yelthi Froholt <laughs> go over there and hang out with those guys. Uh, yeah, again, Lyman gonna be fine. And I feel bad because I feel like Froholt's kind of guy. I feel like he would have gotten more attention as a classic Patriots pick, as you mentioned, Rich. Had the Patriots not picked a little, I think, well, like 12 picks later or 13 picks later, they took Jared Stidham out of mm -hmm. Auburn quarterback i think that was one of the more maybe not head scratcher picks probably the most more one of the more intriguing picks of of the day two patriots draft there's always the question is this the next tom brady era parent is this just a a reach project picks them to have in case brian hoyer i what is your initial thought on stidham and his fit in new england so the fact that the patriots did not take will grier 
in the the third round meant that uh, I don't think that they liked any of the quarterbacks in this draft as being particularly like very solid. You know, they're not going to invest any of their greater capital into a lot of those players. If you didn't get Kyler Murray, if you didn't get Dwayne Haskins, I don't think that there were a lot of quarterbacks really worth investing in from a, a cornerstone standpoint in the same way that you can invest in Jimmy Garoppolo and saying that, you know what, he's worth the next four years. We're going to use one of our top picks on him. Taking a player at the back end of the fourth round like they did with Jarrett Stidham, 133rd overall, it means that you're not really tied to him. He is a high upside player. After or after the 2017 season, he was viewed as a potential top 10 pick, did not emerge, did not develop in his final season at Auburn, but he himself will say, uh, I think that the, the playbook was a little bit, uh, a little bit thin. The offensive line did not do a great job. They lost their star running back, Carrion Johnson, who is now starting for the Detroit Lions. So he was a little hamstrung by the coaching decisions uh, in Auburn, but there's also something to be said that, you know, regardless, he just didn't produce. So he's an accurate quarterback. He doesn't make a lot of bad throws, but he's not overly consistent, and that's something that you would like to see a little bit more of. He can throw the deep ball, but he, he just has not developed into the player that everyone thought he could be. On the plus side, he has plenty of time to develop. Again, I'm not sure that the Patriots heir apparent Tom Brady was in this draft like you, Rich. This might just be kind of body player available. They see something in him they can sculpt and mold. We'll see. Hopefully he'll never see the field. Again, I always feel like a jerk when I say this, but we always come – August comes around and I do radio interviews or a fellow podcast, and they're always like, so, Alec, what's the one of the big storylines at a Patriots training camp this year? And I'm always like, well, backup quarterbacks a nice little battle to watch. <laughs> and they get all upset because, well, obviously they have Tom Brady. But, yeah, I mean I think Danny Etling, Brian Hoyer, and, and Stidham will be an interesting an interesting preseason uh, slate to watch there. Hoyer's Hoyer. We know what he's capable of. But Etling kind of came on toward the end of last preseason, and, and maybe Stidham can, can – can usurp him for that that third job? I don't know. I'm just a little skeptical as as much as one can be of him being really impactful. Yeah, totally. I mean, you look at how there he produced over his final two years at Auburn. His passer rating was actually the exact same as Danny Etling's over the final two years at LSU, according to the college passer rating calculations. So, not too much differentiating them. Big thing that is different is that Sidham is more accurate. Uh, he also has more upside, which, you know, is whatever that term actually means in the scouting community. Uh, you know, maybe they've seen a little bit more flashes here and there than they ever saw from Etling. So you got an opportunity to upgrade a little bit at that third quarterback spot if they feel like it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Patriots didn't find a quarterback of the future in this draft. That's totally okay. They're not married to Stidham, as I said at the beginning. He could stick around for one year. Patriots could find a better quarterback next season and just move on from Stidham. Not a big deal. Right now, what they get to do, have Stidham in the system for a year, figure out if, is he that 2017 quarterback where he looked like, I mean, he beat both Georgia and Alabama, the two teams that played in the conference, uh, the national championship. So there was a lot of potential there. Can the Patriots unleash that? Can they find that? Is that player there? If so, this could ultimately turn out to be a great pick. They could have a solid backup. Uh, and if not, no skin off their back. They could find a new player next year. Yeah. At this point, we're into the part of the draft where it's high upside, low expectations, and the guy can only exceed their, their, their positions. Which brings us to the fifth round. They made two fifth round picks. Uh, they picked Byron Cower out of Maryland at 159. I want to come back to him in a second, Rich, because I want to lead the fifth round with what was probably the most un-Belichickian move of the entire draft. Not only did they trade up to draft this player, which isn't that big of a deal, um, but it's a punter which also isn't a, a massive shock, but it's a right-footed punter. <laughs> Jake Bailey out of Stanford in the fifth round at 163. Belichick loves right-footed punters. I mean, left-footed punters, excuse me. Almost every punter he's had has been left-footed. It spins differently. It's harder to, to feel and harder to gauge. What is it about Jake Bailey that caused Belichick to not only trade up to get him, but to eschew his left-footed love and take a righty? Yeah, so there, there are two things here I want to say. There are two things at play. Eh, maybe we could throw into three. First one is that the team is not in love with Ryan Allen. Not anything wrong with him. He is a fine punter. 
But last year, they tried to upgrade over him with Corey Bohorquez. Allen staved him off a little bit, but the Patriots wanted to put Bohorquez on the practice squad. Bill snatched him up, and now he's their starting punter. So Patriots have been trying to find a way to move on from Allen uh, just because there's the inconsistencies. You have that Super Bowl performance where he looks like the best punter on the planet, and then there's some other games where you're like, oh, that was that was fine. He is a fine punter. And if you're in the fifth round and you're looking at either special teams players or those incredibly high upside players that you mentioned, if you can get a minor upgrade at the fifth round, that's great. If they don't make the team, that's also totally fine. You know, uh, that's what they're looking for with this fifth round pick. And with Bailey, he has the opportunity to be a small upgrade over Ryan Allen. You know, he he's known for his hang time, which is something that Ryan Allen hasn't had the best consistency with. And so if Jake Bailey can be that high, uh, you know, high hang time sort of punter, that's a good upgrade. Second one is that he also does kickoffs. He is a kickoff specialist for Stanford, does a great job. And as the Patriots extended Steven Goskowski for a couple years, as they likely are going to keep him till he either retires or for, you know, he gets a little bit older, maybe the Patriots will want to remove some of those kickoff responsibilities from Goskowski and give it to someone younger and allow Goskowski to save his leg for field goals and extra points. I would be the first person to sign on for that. You know, Goskowski's accuracy on those kicks declined a little bit as soon as he started focusing on how he can get the right ball placement on these kickoffs. If I'm the Patriots, if Jake Bailey can do that, if he can do the kickoffs, if he can have a little bit more hang time than Ryan Allen, that's an upgrade you can have, even if it's a right-footed punter. That's an upgrade, and you'll take that. Do you think he was worth the not only the fifth round pick, but the moving up to get him, Jake Bailey? Yeah, well, so that was something interesting that Nick Casario said after the draft that I didn't really think of at the point. Is that he's like, there's only so many players that you can draft. Uh, they had all of those picks in the seventh round, but he's like, we want to be able to have some freedom to be smart with our salary cap and get some of these undrafted free agent players that were not locked in with these higher uh, guaranteed contracts. So, uh, yeah, totally. We'll, we'll, we'll free up two extra roster spots for these undrafted free agents that we'll definitely talk about in a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're happy to do that. <laughs> Maybe we're not going to be able to keep those seventh round players anyways. So let's figure out how we can be smarter with the, the pennies that we're saving at the end of our salary cap. Makes sense. It's weird to have a glut of draft picks. They have what, what, four seventh rounders. That seems like an insane amount to have. And seventh rounders are, are kind of a crapshoot anyway. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. So why not package some and get your, your right-footed punter of the future? Never thought I'd see the day. Uh, the other fifth rounder was at 159, a little pick, a couple picks before before Jake Bailey, and that was Brian, Byron Cowart out of Maryland. This is their first defensive lineman they took in the draft outside of Winovich in the third round. They waited a couple rounds to get him. He was a disappointment, I believe, at Auburn, if I'm not mistaken, and then he transferred to Maryland and kind of got his act together. This is another classic Belichick pick and that a guy that didn't maybe live up to expectations early but came on late and has a lot of room for growth. Yeah, so Cowart was the number one overall high school prospect when he was recruited to Auburn, and he was supposed to you know, be the, the guy. He was also a defensive end, so he was a lot smaller then. And then guess what happens in college football? The head coach left. He had a new coaching staff come in, and he felt like he wasn't being utilized because he wasn't the coach's guy, which is totally fine. I mean, that happens a lot in college football. So he wasn't being utilized the way that he was uh, expecting or promised during the recruitment and why he went to Auburn in the first place. He went to Maryland, put on 50 pounds, now is a defensive interior guy. Maryland runs a 3-4 defensive front, and that is probably a great thing for him and for the Patriots because he is a 3-4 defensive end, gives him a lot of flexibility. You think of how the Patriots use Lawrence Guy, similar way to how they might use Cowart. Uh, he can play any spot on that interior. They might even feel comfortable putting him on the end as a big heavy guy. Casario specifically said that he is a run defender, so we'll see what that means. 
he has as good a chance of anyone as making the roster as that fourth defensive tackle behind Mike Pinnell, Lawrence Guy, and Adam Butler. And I'm curious to see what the Patriots are able to tap in there if they try to make him a little bit lighter maybe and he can compete with Adam Butler. Maybe they'll make him even lighter further and make him similar to like a Michael Bennett guy on the edge. Maybe they'll have him beef up and have him be more on the inside in a three-technique spot uh, in between or across from the guard. So there are a lot of opportunities there. He is a high, high, high upside player with almost no risk attached to him, taking him 159th overall. This one, I mean, of the the late picks in the fifth and seventh round, I love this one the most. No, I do too. I think that defensive tackle, like running back, I guess, is one of those positions. It's always good to have somebody else in the chamber in case injury happens. And the Patriots defensively especially are so game plan specific that sometimes they want to go really big on the uh, interior line in case those good running backs are coming in. Sometimes they go lighter to match up against more mobile quarterbacks. So I think the more versatility they can have along that line, the better off they're going to be. Maybe a practice squad candidate. Who knows who kind of training camp and mini camp he has. But rooting for him, it's always good to see guys that have a rough start to their college career turn it on late and get a chance to produce in the NFL. Uh, last pick in the seventh round, another cornerback, Ken Webster, Mississippi. I actually like this pick for when they drafted him. Really athletic guy, uh, four four forty, I think. Long, long, broad jump. Yeah. Good cornerback with a probable long shot to make the roster, but at this point, it's all kind of a crapshoot anyway, right? Oh, totally. I mean, even Nick Casario himself was like, "This is a, this is just like our Keon Crossin pick from last year." If if Keon Crossin, I mean, he made the roster, had an impact on special teams, might as well compete with him, Ken Webster. These are the players that are going to be vying for that Jonathan Jones role. That's what they're doing right here. That would probably end up on the practice squad of any of those places. That is what they're they're looking for. They're looking for someone who in 2020 can replace Jonathan Jones, who is a speedster, who might be able to cover those fast receivers like the Kenny Stills, like the McCole Hardmans that are coming out with the, the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what the Patriots are looking for. They're looking for a fast guy, stash him on the practice squad, have him play special teams their first year or two, and then they can eventually help out on the secondary. But as you said, it's the seventh round. This is exactly sixth and seventh round is where Bill Belichick always tries to, to secure his preferred free agents. Might as well get this guy. This must have been at the top of their list. For sure. And there's always some guy, some sixth round pick, seventh round pick, undrafted guy that comes out of nowhere during three, uh, the preseason and plays his way onto the team. He's got as good a chance as anybody, which is a good enough transition before we get into the overall kind of thoughts on the, on the, the draft and some sleepers and whatnot. I'm just going to run down the current undrafted free agents rates the Patriots have taken so far. They've taken a, a small handful. And if any of these guys stand out to you, I'd love to let me know and why. They took two receivers, uh, Jacoby Myers out of NC State and then Xavier Ubosi out of UAB. Uh, they took an offensive tackle in Calvin Anderson out of Texas, a safety in Malik Gant out of Marshall, a linebacker, Therese Hall out of Mizzou, another offensive lineman, Tyree St. Louis out of Miami, uh, tight end, finally, Andrew Beck out of Texas, another offensive lineman, um, Tyler Gauthier out of Miami, a receiver, Ryan Davis out of Auburn, Running back Nick Brosette out of LSU, and yet another cornerback, D'Angelo Ross, out of New Mexico. Any of those guys stand out to you, Rich? And which one, in your opinion, has got the best chance of making the final roster? Oh, these are good questions. So first one, uh, Nick Brosette out of LSU. He is my money for that one player in the fourth game of the preseason that looks pretty good that people are like, oh, I could have him on our team. That ultimately won't make it uh, just because all the depth that the Patriots have at running back and he'll sign somewhere else and be a fine player. Um, that's my special or my uh, preseason star. But if I had to choose uh, one player that I think will really stand out, it would be NC State's Jacoby Myers, who is a big slot receiver for NC State, six foot two, two 203 pounds. He did a great job in his final season at NC State, catching it from fourth-round pick uh, Ryan Finley, quarterback, went to Cincinnati. Uh, Jacoby Myers caught 92 passes for 1,047 yards. He was a team-high receiver there. Really like that opportunity. Patriots are looking for depth anywhere they can at wide receiver. Uh, it's an open competition, and that's a big part, is that outside of Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, and now Nikhil Harry, no one's really guaranteed a spot, right? If Demarius Thomas starts the season on the physically unable to perform list because he suffered that Achilles injury late in the year, 
I don't think that Maurice Harris or Bruce Ellington is guaranteed a roster spot by any means. And so if there's a player that's going to beat out one of these veterans, I don't see why it can't be Myers. And there's always that receiver. The Edelmans of the world, Braxton Berrios, had a good training camp last year. There's always one of those. TJ Moe, I remember back in the day, these guys kind of come out of nowhere. So, yeah, why the heck not? Uh, I like that pick a lot. Uh, overall, Rich, let's go to the – let's talk about the draft as a whole, including the undrafted free agents. You talked about your sleepers as, as, as UDFAs. You've got your first picks of the draft. You've got your later picks of the draft. You've got these rookies who are vying for a spot. I'd like you to give me your favorite pick of the draft, maybe your biggest reach of the draft, and your biggest sleeper of the draft. What do you think? Oh, love it. All right, my favorite pick of the draft is definitely Chase Winovich, 77th overall. I thought he had a first-round talent. That is a, a great high upside selection, and I believe in a couple years we'll be looking at this pick the same way that we were looking at that Trey Flowers selection uh, a few years back where he's just able to do it all. He's a cornerstone player, and uh, we'll, we'll see if he'll get that big money contract or if he'll stay in New England, but I think that he was the best pick. Uh, biggest reach in my mind, uh, Jarrett Stidham, if I had to choose it. If I'm not going to go with the punter, because I mean, fifth round, uh, that's where the top special teams players go. It was a reach in the sense that the Patriots might not have had a need, but I, I would say uh, Jarrett Stidham, just because um... I don't know. I, I'm not in love with him as a prospect. I thought that there were a few other quarterback prospects that were just simply better uh, that might have had some more upside uh, or, you know, even just a little bit uh, more ability right now, a little bit more consistency. And even Brett Ripien was undrafted out of Boise State. But I, I don't think that the Patriots had too many uh, reaches, I would say. It's just maybe that uh, when you look at a mix of both fit, uh, readiness, uh, whose job are they going to take on the roster. I don't know if in the fourth round, Jarrett Stidham is that much better than Danny Etling, and it, it kind of prevented the Patriots from adding a few other players. Uh, my biggest sleeper, though, would have to be Froholt. I, I, I would expect, and I said this earlier, that in a few years we'll be looking at him like we are with Shaq Mason, that he's going to be a stud on that offensive line. He's going to net the Patriots uh, a third-round compensatory pick in 2024. So I'm, I'm very happy with that pick. Nice. That's good. Uh, again, I think I'm with you. I don't think there are a lot of major reaches in this draft. I think reach is probably a strong word to use. I feel like everybody they got was more or less graded at that level. This is not some scenario where the, you're, you're scrambling for your, your the Google machine to look up the second round safety they took. Everyone was relatively drafted where they want to believe. Um, I will say I will, if I had to pick a reach, I'd probably say their second round pick in Williams. Uh, not that he's a reach per se, but it's more that they're just so crowded at that position. Do they really need to use their second-round pick on another cornerback? I don't know if that's the answer. It is yes. Uh, again, I like his skill set. I'm not knocking him as a player. Just does he fit in the system? So I guess he's my reach in that respect. Um, favorite pick, it's kind of a cop-out, but I love the Keneal Harry pick. He's a big receiver. I'm excited to see what Tom Brady can do with him. This is the first time they've had kind of a, a, a quote-unquote sexy receiver for Tom Brady early. And – Selfishly, as a Dumb and Dumber fan, the number of Harry references I can now make <laughs> makes me very happy. Every time he drops a ball, I'm going to be like, Harry, your hands are freezing. And it's going to be awesome. <laughs> That's very selfish of me. Um, as for sleepers, I got to go in the fifth round. I got to go to Byron Cowart. They seem to do this every year as well. The Adam Butlers, the Landon Roberts of the world. These guys kind of come on. The Jawan Bentleys. These guys kind of come on to nowhere, and they just they have this high motor looking to prove it. And Belichick loves his D lineman, and I think he's in a good position to to do well along that that line. There's not really a, a stud there anymore now that Flowers is gone. So I think Coward has a an open door. The question is, can he walk through it? Oh yeah, I like all those two. I think this is probably one of the first drafts in many years where there is not a, a huge head scratcher or yeah. a lack of interest just because Patriots aren't picking till you know the sixth round, uh, and I'm very happy with this. I don't know. I'm like, I'm like very pleasantly surprised. There are some changes that maybe I would have done. You know, I really liked AJ Brown out of Ole Miss. Maybe I would have taken him over Nikhil Harry, but honestly, at the end of the day, this was a great draft. They addressed a bunch of their needs. They were never going to get TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Both of those went off in the top 20 
They did not believe that Irv Smith or Jace Stein, uh, Sternberger had the blocking ability that they wanted out of the tight end position. So be it. Uh, it is what it is. Patriots are probably just going to reduce the import of that tight end spot. They traded Jacob Hollister as well for a conditional 2020 seventh round pick to the Seattle Seahawks. So that's basically giving him away for free. So the Patriots don't have a lot of uh, depth at this tight end spot. You got Austin Safarian Jenkins. Uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> they they signed uh, Matt Lacoste, sure. Steven Anderson, sure. Uh, you, you got Izzo, who was their seventh-round pick last year. But not a lot of proven ability here. So if there were one big need that the Patriots still have, it would be at tight end. I thought they addressed every other possible hole they might have on the roster throughout the draft. Other than tight end, I don't think that was a mistake. I think that is exactly what they planned or thought would happen. That's why they signed Safarian Jenkins. And at the end of the day, this is a great draft process. It was a great draft process. And I, I think one of the reasons that the Patriots didn't draft the tight end is because historically, I mean, Gronkowski aside, they haven't really been a tight, have, a tight end heavy team. They've always had one, but he's never been a superstar. They tried it with Ben Watson. They had Algie Crumpler for a while. They they had, you know, Ben Coates way back in the day. That was pre-Belichick. But still, like, there's not like there's this, like, history of just all-time great tight ends and them running tight end offensive schemes all the time. And, of course, also, what's the one thing everybody was saying with the Patriots pre-draft? They got to draft a tight end. So, of course, they're not going to draft a tight end. They're going to leave the position completely unfilled. It's kind of how they roll. <laughs> they're they're going to be fine. They, they, I think that they have a lot of receivers right now who are kind of tight end receiver hybrids. Another reason to like Keneal Harry. Um, and this is not like they're, they, they need to run through the tight end system. And, you know, it's just another blocker. And maybe they'll, they'll convert, uh, you know, one of the, the Icelandic Norsemen into a tight end. They're going to be fine with it. And I'm still not holding out. I'm still holding out hope, Rich, that come like maybe mid to late November, early December, they make a phone call to wherever Rob Gronkowski is on the beach with his cervezas and his Yo Soy Fiesta shirt, and he comes back for one last big playoff push. I'm not hold, I'm not uh, totally ruling that out. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll flash the Gronk signal and it'll come right back. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that that's something that the Patriots always do. They always adjust based off of the talent that they have available. I see them doing this this year. Uh, they don't have Rob Gronkowski. They'll do a lot of four receiver sets. Maybe they'll have a lot of Devlin out there with a running back, maybe even two running back sets. They'll find a way to get their best five skill players on the field and they'll find a way to produce they'll always do that i think this was a great draft really reinforced uh, uh, the roster and all the places it needed to be uh, supported very happy alec before we head into to rookie minicamp and the really the full rush of the 2019 season do you have any final thoughts on the 2019 nfl draft I'm glad we got some time off because I'm going to need to figure out how to spell a lot of these guys' last names. So I, I have my work cut out for me. Uh, well, that's going to be fun. I'll, I'll see you in January next year when I finally have figured it out. Uh, <laughs> until next time, Alec, you have a good one, man. See you, buddy. Later. Later.